week, we talked about Jesus taking his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And how, while there, Jesus asked his disciples a simple question, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was while in Caesarea that Jesus announced to his disciples that they would be going to Jerusalem, and there he would be arrested, beaten, and ultimately put to death. And with that announcement, there's a shift that takes place in the gospel as increasingly all attention is focusing on Jesus going to Jerusalem and what's going to happen to him once there. The first stop along the journey was to the Mount of Transfiguration, not a, not a very long walk from Caesarea Philippi. Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mountain um, and there they witnessed Jesus be transfigured. They heard God speak, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And if, if Peter had any doubts about whether Jesus was the Messiah, he would have come down that mountain with no doubt at all. Once down the mountain, they headed over to Capernaum, back home to the northern banks of the Sea of Galilee. They spent a short time there, and during that time, we can see what happened in Matthew chapters 17 and 18. That's where it's recorded what he did while in Capernaum. And then by chapter 19, Jesus and the disciples are headed on that more than 100-mile walk to Jerusalem. They go through Jericho on their way. And when they finally enter the city of Jerusalem, they do so coming over the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and then they enter the city right by the temple. Now, it was a Sunday when Jesus entered the city with his disciples. And a great parade broke out as people started shouting, Hosanna, Jesus entering the, the city at the Temple Mount. And the first thing that he did once he entered the city was to go into the temple courtyard and toss over the tables of money changers and of merchants who were stealing from the poor. He shouted out, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves as he chased the thieves out of the temple court. For the days that followed, each day Jesus spent some time in the temple courtyard with his disciples, teaching them. He would engage with the religious leaders and point out how corrupt they had become. And each day, tensions mounted between the religious leaders and Jesus, who increasingly looked for some way to get rid of him. Each night, Jesus and the disciples would go to the Mount of Olives where they camped out. Sunday gave way to Monday, Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Thursday, Thursday night, sunset, the Passover began. Jesus and his disciples made their way into the old part of the city of Jerusalem for the Passover meal to a room that had been prepared for them. Jesus knew that this would not just be his last Passover, but this would be his last supper. It was during the Passover celebration and the hours that immediately followed it 
that we see Peter in some of his most faithful moments, and we also see Peter with some of his greatest failures. And so we turn our attention now to the Passover celebration and what follows. Marion, will you read for us? Thank you. Our scripture lesson today is found in Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. This has been the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Thank you, Marion. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, two of our members, Andy and Cheryl Anderson, created a wonderful curriculum, a leadership development curriculum for our church. And part of what I loved about the curriculum was how it began by focusing on leaders, our first followers. As Christians, we follow Jesus. He is our leader. And in leadership, we're simply trying to be faithful as followers of Jesus Christ. The story of what takes place on Thursday night is a crash course in servant leadership. The Gospel of John tells us that when Jesus and his disciples arrived at that upper room for the celebration of the Passover meal, the disciples entered and went right to their seats. Before the meal began, John tells us, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It was the custom in, the, in those days that situated by the entrance to a room for this kind of occasion, there would be a basin and pitcher of water and a towel. For hosts who had the means, there would be servants who would be stationed there to wash the guests' feet, an act of hospitality. If the host had more than one servant, it would be the lowliest of servants who'd be given that job of washing the guests' feet. If the host did not have the means for servants, then it's the basin and pitcher and towel would be left out, and when guests would arrive, they would simply wash their own feet. For whatever reason, when the disciples arrived, they broke with custom. They passed by the basin and pitcher of water and went and took their spots around the table. So before the meal began, Jesus went over to the entryway, 
got the basin and pitcher of water and the towel, and he started working his way around the table, washing his disciples' feet. None of the disciples said a word. None of them except one. Guess who? Peter. Peter was the last person that Jesus approached to wash feet. And that tells us where Peter was seated at the table. He was at the last spot around the triclinium that was the table. And that spot was reserved for the servant. And that tells us something because Peter was already named as the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. But to be that kind of leader, he had to be seated in the servant's seat. When Jesus approached him to wash his feet, Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And I can understand that. I mean, this is Jesus humbling himself before Peter. I'm reminded of John the Baptist. When Jesus showed up and asked John to baptize him, John said, no, I'm not going to baptize you. You should baptize me. I'm not fit to tie your sandals. But Jesus spoke to Peter. And it became clear to Peter this was something that needed to happen. And so Peter responds by saying, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my hands and my head too. In other words, I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, evidently, the disciples did not understand the meaning of what was taking place when Jesus washed their feet. Because partway into the meal, they got in an argument with each other. And do you remember what they argued about? They argued about who among them was the greatest. Who would be seated at the right and the left hand of Jesus, help to rule over his kingdom? Who was the greatest among them? And you can hear, you can almost hear the weariness in Jesus' voice as his time is running out. And he has to say to them, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. It's a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be servants of one another. As disciples, we look upon each other not seeing what we can get from each other, but rather seeing how we can bless each other and to make each other's lives a little bit better. I mean, think about the people in your life, the people you're close to. How do you humble yourself before them in order to bless them, to help them to experience something of the blessings of God, to help their life to be a little better, a little more blessed, a little more joyous? There are lots of ways that we can bring blessings to people's lives. In the time of Jesus, it was a custom to wash people's feet, a blessing for them. That's not a custom for us anymore. So that's not how we do it. But there's so many ways that we can. In October, this next month, I'm going to be blessed to officiate at three weddings. Family members of all three are here, some of whom are going to be married. Are here right now 
And I'm blessed to be able to officiate at three different weddings in October. And one of the things that I like to have the couples think about either during premarital counseling or during the wedding itself is what it means to be servants to one another. So let's just pretend right now that I'm doing a wedding for Steve and Linda. Okay, how long have you been married? 42 years. So you got to kind of figure it out by now. But let's just pretend that, that I'm doing a wedding for Steve and for Linda. I would begin by saying to Steve, Steve, be a servant to Linda. You've been doing that for 42 years probably. But be a servant to Linda. Consider her needs before your own. Seek to be a blessing to her, to lift her up, to make her life better. And then to Linda, be a servant to Steve. Seek to be a blessing to him, to lift him up, to make his life better. St. Paul says it in this way, always seek to outdo each other in love. And that's not just a principle for, for couples who are committed to each other in that kind of way. That's a Christian principle. That applies to every one of us in our relationships with one another. We seek to outdo each other in love by humbling ourselves in order to bring about some blessing for somebody else that they'll experience the grace of God, their life made all the better. It's the life of a disciple. The disciples are having a hard time understanding all of this, at least at this point in time. The meal continues. And when it comes to an end, Jesus and the disciples, all but Judas, he'd already run off. They all start heading back toward the Mount of Olives for the night. And it was along the way that we hear that Jesus tells his disciples that that very night they were going to abandon him. And none of them say anything. None of them, except one. Guess who? Peter. Peter says, oh, no, Lord, I would never abandon you. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, this very night, before the cock crows in the morning, three times you will have denied knowing me. And Peter responds by saying, I would never deny you. I will die with you, Jesus. I will die with you. They make their way up to the Mount of Olives. Jesus takes Peter and a couple of other disciples over to the Garden of Gethsemane, asks them to stay awake with him while he prays, but they all fall asleep. Peter falls asleep. Jesus wakes him and says, get prepared because temptation is coming. Stay awake and pray, but Peter falls asleep. A couple of hours later, he wakes when armed soldiers arrive, led by Judas, who betrays Jesus with a kiss, and they arrest Jesus. Peter had promised that he would die with Jesus. And so he pulls out a sword. I don't know where he got it from. But he pulled out a sword and he swung it and he lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. And he's lucky he didn't die at that moment in time because the soldiers had good reason to then turn against him and to put him to death for what he had done. But before they could do that, 
Jesus picked up the ear of the servant, held it back up to his face, and healed him. Right there in front of everybody and all of the soldiers, he healed the servant as he said to Peter, put down your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And Peter would have died by the sword. Jesus then says to the guards, you've come for me, let the others go. And with that, they all just disappeared. They took off running and they hid, all of them, except John and Peter. John and Peter followed behind as the guards took Jesus down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley to the old part of the city to the palace of the high priest. They followed along behind watching. When Jesus was taken into the palace of the high priest, it was Peter who worked his way up into the courtyard of the palace. There was a fire that was burning there, and there were people around it keeping warm. And Peter was courageous enough to work his way up by the fire so that he was only feet away from Jesus. He was only feet away from him, a courageous act. It was there by the fire that people started to recognize him. The account is found in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to put it up on the screen now because we're going to read it together. I'm going to read this print that you see right now, but then on slides to come, you'll see some bolded print. And the bolded print is quotes from Peter. If you would read that part of it. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, A little later, someone else on seeing him said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, then about an hour later, still another kept insisting, surely this man also was with, was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, at that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think about Peter's denial. Peter, who was faithful. I mean, he was faithful. You just think about the risks that he took to get to be within feet of Jesus. I mean, he was faithful. And yet, and yet he still denied knowing Jesus. And it makes me think about my own life. Those times where, you know, I've been trying to be faithful for my whole life, but I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. Those times when I have taken my eyes off of Jesus, followed the desires of my own heart, I think about those times where I've said something or have done something that brought some hurt or to pain to somebody else's 
life. How there have been moments where I've lived like I really wasn't a follower. Like denying him. I mean, maybe you've had some moments like that in your life too. I know that I've had some of those moments. And Peter had some of those moments. Did you catch how that story ended for Peter? As soon as Peter denied knowing Jesus for the third time and he heard the rooster crowing, remember what it said? He looked and he saw Jesus. Jesus was looking at him. That's how close Peter had gotten to him. Jesus was looking at him and saw his betrayal. And it broke Peter's heart. Filled with shame, all he could do was run off and cry uncontrollably. I have to wonder, why did the gospel writers include this kind of a story? I mean, by the time the gospels were written, Peter was already the hero of the church. He had become the rock upon which the church was built. By the time the gospel writers wrote these stories, Peter had already died for his faith, refusing to stop proclaiming Christ. He had already been put to death because of his faith. Why did they tell this kind of a story? I mean, usually when we're remembering the heroes of our life, usually when we're remembering the saints who have gone on before us, we remember those stories that are inspiring. We don't usually tell the stories of a person's worst possible moment, those moments of deepest, deepest regret. Why did they tell the story of his deepest regret, his greatest failure? I mean, it seems to me like there's only one reason why they would tell that story. And it's because Peter kept telling that story. How else would people know that when Peter denied knowing Jesus, he looked up and he could see Jesus looking at him? How would people know that unless Peter was telling the story? He must have been telling that story. And as a preacher... As a preacher, I can understand why he would tell that story. I mean, I can almost hear the sermon in my own head. Not that we find this in the scriptures. But as a preacher, I can hear why. Is there anybody here who's buried in guilt? Is there anybody here who's having a hard time breathing because of shame. Is there anybody here who's done something that you wish you never would have done and you can't fix it no matter how hard you try? You just can't seem to fix it. Have you ever done something that you regret and wish you could take back? If you have, I can hear Peter saying, I understand. Because I've been there. I was so overcome with guilt and shame, with no way of fixing it, that all I could do was weep. 
But then I heard the voice of Jesus inviting me to come. I went trembling, but he didn't talk about my failure. Instead, he encouraged me into my future. Later, I was with him. I hear Peter saying, and he asked me a question. Peter, do you love me? And I had to be honest with him. I had to be honest with him. Yes, Lord, I love you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Three times he asked me that question if I love him, as if to undo each of the denials. Three times he asked me, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I'm working on it. I'm trying. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You who are flawed, go to people who are flawed and help them experience the grace that I'm offering to you. This is Peter's story. This is Peter's story. How could he not tell it? He experienced a grace that went far beyond anything he could have ever hoped for or imagined. How could he not tell that story? To people who are broken because of things that have happened in life. How could he not tell that story? That there is a grace that is bigger than we could ever begin to imagine. Our failures do not have to define us. Our guilt does not have to define us. Our shame does not have to define us. There is a grace that is offered to us. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen.